1: Thanks for joining us as we continue working through the Psalms, Psalm 23, famous psalm. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we turn to it together. Father, here are your sheep, your people, and we ask that you would lead and feed and care for us through your word now. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I think by about any metric you could use, you could probably... Uh, Label this age as an anxious and fearful age, an anxious and fearful culture, whether that's just like felt experience or if you want to look at uh, psychological evaluations, I think that all would kind of turn up in some capacity that we are an anxious and fearful people. And if you dig down into our own lives, this is not something that is just an out there kind of problem. If you dig into each of our own lives and think about much of what we do and much of what we say, if you, if you dig down deep enough into those things, a, a lot of the things that we're going to say, a lot of things that we're going to do are going to come from this heart of fear and anxiety that's within us. And, and today... This morning, right into the middle of an anxious and fearful age and an anxious and fearful culture with anxious and fearful people, God has given us a tremendous psalm, a psalm that can and is meant to provide confidence and security, to give certainty, to give a trust in fearful times, to give security in uncertain futures, to to give People that are, are timid, some confidence in their shepherd to give the uncertain people with uncertain times some certainty in the Lord. This is a psalm that can take an axe to the root of fear and anxiety. How does it do that? You likely have heard of Psalm 23. Even if you have no church background, somehow Psalm 23 you probably snuck in somewhere in your life. and No doubt many of you have heard much from this psalm and, and know some of the deep and powerful truths that are from it, and there are many. And the temptation, I think, when you go through this is to want to wring every single word dry. I won't do that. Every word is soaked with with such goodness that you could spend a lifetime in this entire psalm and, and pour over the words. But let me say this morning that it seems that the center of Psalm 23's power, that the center of Psalm 23's beauty, the center of Psalm 23's application and help is at the center. Notice the, the structure of this psalm. In, in verse 1, you have the Lord is my shepherd, and in verse 6, he's going to end where he began with saying, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it begins and ends with the Lord. Here's a psalm that, that's a personal psalm of confidence, and, and at either side, it's the Lord. So in other words, it all is pointing to and flowing from him. We, we have a temptation to take the psalm and make it you know, so dependent upon me but that's not what this psalm is doing, and it it's pointing away from us to the Lord. And so 1 and 6, mark this psalm off as a unit and sandwich right in the middle, right at the heart is verse 4, and the very center, the very middle of this psalm is in verse 4 with these words, you are with me. Verse 4 is a massive verse in this entire psalm. It is a verse where you see this shift from the third person, he, 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 and here's what he's doing, to the second person, you, you. And at the very center of this shifting verse that is almost like it's got to be the peak in terms of, look at the difficulty of this verse, walking through the valley of death. and right in the middle of it is these words, you are with me. There are the exact same number of Hebrew words before those words and the exact same number of Hebrew words after those words. And so out of all the great truths from Psalm 23, I think the psalmist would have us listen to, perhaps maybe see as the center, these very words, you are with me. And is there a greater truth to provide confidence today? Is there a greater truth to provide a sense of confidence security and certainty today because here we have this this lord it's going outside of us where there is no certainty and no confidence or shouldn't be and it moves us to the lord where we can have all kinds of confidence and all kinds of certainty No matter what's going on, uncertain times or timid people, these are the truth, this truth, you are with me is what we need. And if you are with me is rightly understood and believed, that is the ax that can cut to the very root of all of our anxiety, of all of our fears, of all of our prides. It's the very truth that can propel us forward to a life of confidence in the Lord and walking faithfully before him for whatever the future holds because we have certainty and hope for that as well. It's the truth that can see God's people through anything. And perhaps that's why Psalm 23 has been so savored by so many of God's people, is that it is this kind of psalm that can hold us through the midst of anything, and it can help readers understand uh, how can we navigate some of the difficulties of life. We can do it with this truth. And to help us understand the reality that the Lord is with us, this psalm gives us two metaphors. The Lord is with as shepherd and the Lord as host. These are two commanding metaphors that run throughout this psalm, the Lord as shepherd and the Lord as host. In other words, we could frame it this way, that the Lord is with us as shepherd and the Lord is with us at ho- as host. Psalm 23 gives people confidence that the Lord is with them as their shepherd and it gives them certainty that the Lord is with them as their host. So these two metaphors, shepherd and host, you see shepherd in verses one through four, host in verses five and six, they display the, the depth The beauty and the power of the truth that God is with us. And so verse 1, David begins with the Lord and he's going to end with the Lord saying all is pointing to that, all is flowing from the Lord. And he quickly in verse 1 makes a really strange choice. Listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The the strange choice that that David uses, that he makes here, is this word shepherd. Shepherd. You know, the Psalms often use other words for the Lord. Way more numerous times is the Lord is rock, the Lord is refuge, the Lord is fortress. Those are far more numerous in the book of Psalms. Here he makes a strange choice and he says the Lord is shepherd. That's only used a handful, seven to eight times in the book of Psalms altogether. And so what is he doing with this strange choice? Well, this choice here is communicating something. Certainly shepherd communicates a little bit differently than rock, doesn't it? communicates a little bit differently than refuge and fortress. Those are great images. We are not to diminish them whatsoever, and this psalm is not trying to do that. But what it is trying to do is get us to something a little bit more, saying that the Lord is shepherd. It's a, it is a title of closeness, of intimacy. It is a, a tightness uh, fellowship that is there, the kind of closeness that can give you confidence and security. In our culture, uh, shepherd isn't a, a very rich word. right? I've We can look at one category to show this, and that is mascots. Team mascots, they are all over the place in terms of what they are celebrating and putting forth as something that's strong and something to rally behind. There's all kinds of them. I I knew a guy, his high school, they were the Apple Knockers. He was from Illinois. Apple Knockers. Something to rally behind, right? This is who we are. You've probably heard, this is a college somewhere in Mississippi, I think, the Fighting Okra. Fighting okra. But in all my research of mascots, I have not once, there probably is one, so you're going to Google it now, I'm sure, but I've not seen uh, the mascot, the shepherd. And I wonder why that is, right? Because it's not a rich word for us. It's not something we we highly value and esteem, but for them, when they hear that the Lord is shepherd, it is a rich word for them, that is shepherd, it has this sense of closeness and intimacy. The shepherd, they care for the sheep, they feed the sheep, they lead the sheep, they're protecting the sheep, they're watching over them. There's an ownership and a tight connection between shepherd and sheep going on here, all connected with that word shepherd. There's tight connection with the flock. And here's what David says here in verse 1, that there's not just a shepherd, but that the Lord is my shepherd. This has so much depth for David on so many multiple levels. Think about David's life. As a shepherd, here's what he did. 1 Samuel chapter 17. He says, your servant used to keep sheep. He was a shepherd for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, what did he do? I went after him, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And then he rose, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So when David is talking about shepherd, surely he would have had some of these thoughts from his former days in his mind. And says, oh, I know what a shepherd does. It means that when a bear comes or when a lion comes and it takes the sheep, you don't just hold back and like, well, we lost one. You run after it and you snatch it from its mouth. That's the kind of imagery that David would have had in mind when he thinks of a shepherd. And he's saying that the Lord is that. The Lord is this kind of shepherd who will say, if I'm torn by a lion and I'm separated from the flock, he's the kind of person that will go after it and pull us back. That's the Lord as shepherd that he has in mind. So for him to call the Lord his shepherd, to him to say, he takes that kind of interest and care and protection for me because the Lord is my shepherd, he says. Likely he also recognizes himself as a king, as a shepherd. In Psalm 78, verse 70, it says that he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance, with an upright heart. He shepherded them and guided them with this skillful hand, so he took him from shepherding to shepherding. And I think David probably had this understanding of his role as king as kind of a shepherding type role over the people Israel. And here's what the shepherd, both as a king and as a, like his job as a younger lad, here's what that shepherd says, that I have a shepherd, that the shepherd has a shepherd, and the shepherd that is the shepherd of the shepherd is the Lord, and he says that he's my shepherd. And so as people are led by the king and his rule, David is saying, I'm led by that king and his rule. David led He's led by the Lord and his rule, and he's saying, he's my shepherd, I submit fully to him. And as king, that's what he would have thought of his people, but that's what he's saying of the Lord. Israel, too, can, can fill in the, the, the vivid imagery of the Lord as shepherd for themselves. This is the Lord who had rescued them out of the mouth of Egypt, who identified closely with them, who led them. Look, look in Psalm 78 again, in verses 50, 52, It says, Then he led out his people, speaking of Egypt, like sheep. And he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land and to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out the nations before them. And he apportioned for them a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. He is the shepherd who shepherded them. If you turn over to chapter 77... Verse 20, he said, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God is relating to his people like a shepherd to a flock. And what's he doing for them? He's providing for them. He's caring for them. He's rescuing them. He led them through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he fed them. He gave them manna to eat every day. He gave them water when there was no water. He protected them from their enemies. He identified closely with them, giving them not only his name, but his word and his covenant. This is a God who identifies closely with his people so that we could look at, again, Psalm 95, verse 7. It says, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. They could have said that. Or in Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us. We are his, we are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture, and so to say in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd is is a term that has great richness and depth, not only for David, but for all the people of Israel. They would have known the riches of that term that's different than to say that the Lord is rock and fortress and refuge, and to know the Lord is shepherd is to know what else he says in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not once. This is what Israel knew. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, or chapter 2, sorry, verse 7, a similar word is found there. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. and these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. And here's the same word there. You, you have not, you have lacked nothing. You have not lacked. He, he looks back and he's saying, like, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. Israel can say this because you lacked nothing. He fed you. He led you, he protected you, he cared for you as a sheep as a shepherd should care for his sheep. This same phrase in in Deuteronomy 2, 7 reminds that when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, reminds that that's the idea of lacking nothing as the sheep. It doesn't mean that they have everything that they could possibly want. They were in the wilderness. It doesn't mean they're living a life of luxury. They were in the wilderness, right? That was not a luxurious living but it is to say that this is the Lord who is capable of supplying their every single need, no matter the circumstances, if it's as barren as the wilderness and has no water like the wilderness, the Lord can still be their shepherd who can make him live a life without want even there. And one captures it in a hymn. This is one of the great, great hymns that's spun from Psalm 23. He says that the God of love my shepherd is, and he, doth, he that doth feed me doth me feed While he is mine and I am his, what can I want or need? And who the shepherd is, which is the Lord, gives the confidence that this life can be a life without lack. Those two are connected. The Lord being my shepherd and I shall not want are vitally connected. And David, he has this confidence in the Lord as his shepherd to provide for him, to sustain him no matter the situation. And so he can turn and say, as he does in Psalm 34, verse 10, says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, how does the Lord do this? How does he supply all these good things that his sheep need? We, we see not only who the Lord is in verse 1, but now we're going to see verses 2 through 4, the Lord's care. Verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leaves me beside still waters. Green pastures. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 30, God provides this, these green things, green vegetation for the beasts to eat. It's, it's, a, it's a sign, it's a display, it's a word of ample provision. And here it's ample provision for the sheep. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And in his care, he makes me lie down. Like he, he takes these to these green pastures and there's lying there. The, the, the provision and protection are so good that they provide the context for rest, for the sheep to be able to lie down. One author says that rest is not only a function of being well provided for, there's green pasture, it's a state of security that comes from the shepherd's protective presence. The shepherd takes them there and makes them lie down there, and they can lie down there not only because there's no need to move elsewhere for food, but because the, the shepherd is in our midst. And so we're safe. Even the water has overtones of rest. He leads me beside still waters. Right? The, the sheep, they, they don't af- arrive at, they don't find these waters. They're led to them. And they're waters of rest. Like It's pretty easy to think of sheep getting swept away in rushing waters or, or to get diseased from kind of stagnant water, but the, the shepherd leads to still waters. Like this is the one to follow, right? Green pastures, there's rest and there's still waters of rest. This shepherd provides the good life, a a life without lack, a life of ample provision, a life of rest that no sheep could find on their own. They they don't work their way into it. They don't find the right way to get to this pasture because they have a great sense of smell or sight. They, They don't have some sort of sixth sense to get them to these still waters. They're led to them because this Lord is the one who's leading them. Shepherd left to, or sheep left to themselves are not going to go this way. you know this if you know much about sheep, but Isaiah, I think, captures the idea of of the direction of sheep pretty well when he says, of all people, all we like sheep, what do sheep do? They go astray. And he says, all we like sheep, we have gone our own way. Go in your own way. Going astray doesn't lead to this life without lack, a life without want. It doesn't lead to green pastures and still waters and rest. And so to sheep that have gone astray, who are prone to eat thistles rather than green food, and to think that we will get sustenance there, to, to sheep that, that think that we can drink from rapids and not be swept away, for, from sheep that are sweating because we're working so hard to find somewhere to be provided for. God sends the shepherd to lead us, He sends Jesus, Jesus comes, and what does he say of himself? How does he identify himself? That rich word shepherd. I am, he says, the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, what does he invite us to? He he invites us to hear his voice and to follow me. Hear me and follow me and I'll lead you. And what does he lead us to? He holds out to those who hear his voice and follow him. He holds out to them the good life, and those who trust in Jesus, who, who follow his voice, who, who can say to him, not that he's a good shepherd, but he's my good shepherd, he's the good shepherd, don't necessarily know that all their desires are met. That's not what he offers. But that we do live a life without lack, where not only has he fulfilled what we most fully need, but he has met our greatest need. Isaiah 53, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But What happened? God met our deepest need. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or we could go back up. He is the one who's meeting our greatest need by bearing our griefs, carrying our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. With with the greatest need met in Jesus, now we can know this Jesus who not only has met that need, but now we can rest in all kinds of ways. He can be the bread of life who continues to sustain us and propel us forward. He can be the living water that not only satisfies the thirsting that's in us, but overflows from us to others. To know Jesus as our Lord and Shepherd, to know Him as my Shepherd is to know His care, His leading, His provision, His protection. And, And this is not something that any of us, any sheep, can find on our own jesus brings it he offers it we don't again work our way into it we don't find this good pasture and these waters and rest on our own we can't have our needs met on our own we need a shepherd and he's come and in jesus is such abundant provision and care that there truly is rest do you remember what he said in matthew chapter 11 he says come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and what am i going to give you give you rest. And notice the qualifications to getting this rest. You have to be weary. You have to be burdened. Those are actual qualifications. They don't disqualify you from following this shepherd. They actually qualify you to come to him and receive the rest that he gives. And so the invitation is in verse 29, come. Come and find it. Take my yoke on you. Like, join in with me. And I will give you rest. Like sheep, rest comes not from just finding it, but from being in yoke, living life with the shepherd and in his protective presence. Only good shepherds will give not just what the sheep need in food and water, only good shepherds will make sure that they get the rest that they need as well. I can remember growing up on the farm and the thing I wanted to do when it was time for me to feed the cattle was to just drop the feed off as fast as possible and get out of there. And the good shepherd doesn't do that. He stays and says, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Live life with me, in relationship with me, as your shepherd, and I'm going to give you rest. This is the good life. This is the life that the good shepherd calls us stray sheep into. It's provided in following his voice and in his lead. So if you're weary with life, perhaps you're trying to earn your way to the greenest pastures or find meaning from some other waters. You need to come to the good shepherd. This is the one who can give you rest, who, if he's your shepherd, you shall not want. Maybe you should recognize some of the, the thistles that you've been trying to sustain you and think about the waters that you're, you're trying to find life in and, and turn to the one who can lead you, make you lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters. Or we could listen to the words of First Peter, two twenty-five. He says, "We we were straying, we were like sheep straying, but now we've returned to the Shepherd and Overseer of our souls." And so, if you're straying, here's the invitation: is to return to the Shepherd of your souls. And as this good Shepherd, as the Shepherd of the souls, here's what He can do to you. Verse three, He can restore your soul. He restores my soul. In John 10, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he notices and and points out another character. He says there are other people that try to come in. There are thieves. They they come in and what do they do? They steal and destroy. They set the sheep against one another. They they start the infighting. They scatter the sheep. And if wolves come, they're nowhere to be found. That's what they do. And that's not how sheep thrive. If, If a thief is in charge, sheep will not thrive. Maybe that's all you've known. Destruction, scattering, drama, wolves, all these things that will tear at us and tear at and take our lives. And look at verse 3. This is what the Lord does. He restores. Where's that restoration found in? That restoration is found in the Lord's shepherding. It comes from His leading and His feeding, not the sheep doing their own thing on their own way. That's when they're astray and all kinds of problems happen. No, with the right leading and the right feeding, there's all kinds of health. There's rest, there's restoration. Right shepherding is good for the sheep. And there is only one good shepherd. When you follow the Lord, it's not a life of roaming and searching for food and water and rest. It's a life of receiving those things. And notice in verse 3, he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Right, paths? They further the restoration. A righteous living, right way of living actually furthers the restoration. It doesn't push us further away. Like, this is hard to live this way. This can't be for my good. Actually, no. Right living, even if it is a harder path, is for our restoration. That's part of our design. Following the Lord is not a life of roaming and searching for what the path is. To follow the Lord is to be led on the right paths where there's food and there's water and there's rest. And it continually restores us as we were designed to be in the beginning, the restoration of the sheep is of great importance to the Lord. He wants his sheep to be restored because he is the one who leads them. And so he leads them in paths of righteousness. And why does he do this? For his name's sake. Your restoration is of utmost importance to your shepherd because his name's attached to this thing. Like his name is on the flock. that People should be able to look around and be like, that's that, that, well, the sheep of that one shepherd. And the Lord wants that Shepherding and those sheep to be different because his name's tied. And so what you have here in in that he leads in paths of righteousness for his namesake is this beautiful convergence of of here we have sheep without lack. They're well fed. They're well watered. They're rested. They're being restored. And then you have the convergence of it's for his namesake. So the reputation of the shepherd and the care of the sheep, here's what they're doing in these verses. They're going hand in hand. They're not separate as if like God can choose between doing doing things for his namesake and God can choose between the other option being for our good. No, actually in this flock, the Lord works for his namesake and it's for the good of the sheep and those go hand in hand together. They fit together. And this is true throughout scripture. Like there's not one time where this isn't True, and so when Jesus comes and he says, let me teach you how to pray, and you pray like this, the first petition, the first thing you request is hallowed be your name. Like that request is Jesus caring for us by asking us, or by telling us to ask for the very thing that will be for our ultimate good. Telling us, here's how you can pray your best. This is how you can get the best for your life too. Pray, God, hallowed be your name. When, when Paul comes and he says, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we should do it all for the glory of God. He doesn't mean to say, no, now your life is a total drag because you've got to live it for someone else. Now, when he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, he's actually telling us this is the path to the good life. This is the path to your ultimate restoration and joy and good. Now, I'm shocked by the verse that, that God in 2 Corinthians says, God loves a cheerful giver. Notice the love and the cheer that go hand in hand. He loves that, and it honors him. When we're giving to him and we do it cheerfully, it honors him. In other words, the care of the sheep and the glory of the shepherd, they go hand in hand. And those go hand in hand for our continued restoration, because we're designed to live for the sake of this name. And when we do it, it's not against our care. It's actually in line with our care And so for the Lord's namesake, here's what he does for the sheep. He gives them a life without want. He makes them lie down in green pastures. He leads them beside still waters. He restores their soul and he does it all for his namesake. In other words, this is a shepherd to follow. This is one that you can have confidence in no matter the circumstances. Even if it's the circumstances that we find in verse 4. Verse 4 takes a darker turn, doesn't it? And it's central to the psalm, a turning point in the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Following the shepherd and a life without want and a life of restoration doesn't mean there aren't going to be any valleys. And the valleys are dangerous, they're threatening. They're ominous. They're dark. This this is a place where there's dangers lurking in every corner. You think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. What are they doing? Like you're kind of walking in this way and you could get attacked at any moment. That's the idea of the valley of the shadow of death here. One author says this, that sometimes the right paths, that's verse 3, do indeed run through the darkest valley. I want us to notice a couple words, though, in the beginning of verse 4. They're words of confidence. Even though. Even though. like He knows the, the valley of the shadow of death, but even though. These are words of confidence. And those words are right. If you're following this shepherd of verses 1 through 3, then you can trust that even though, verse 4, you're going to be okay. You can have confidence in this shepherd even there because you know the kind of care he gives. You know the kind of shepherd he is. So even though a valley is coming, that valley isn't working against your restoration That valley isn't working against the the sake of the name of your shepherd, but with. One author said this, that God leads us to pain as purposefully as he leads us to pleasure. And for the sheep, we can be confident as we walk, that when we walk in this valley that he's with us. But, But notice those words, even though I walk through. The valley of the shadow of death. Through. And are you in a valley? Infertility, loss of relationship, joblessness despair, despondency, dealing with the sin in your life or the consequences of your sin. Maybe you look at 2024 and you think like this is going to be a valley. Well, we're certain that there's going to be some valleys ahead of us. Should we continue to have breath in our lungs? And no, here's what we need to know. If we're following this shepherd Lord, we can be confident in his leading even there. Through, through is the word that he puts in here for us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through it. Like, no matter the valley, the valley's not the destination. Through. And he has a perfect record of getting people through those valleys. No matter the valley, this shepherd can lead through. Like, he, he went first. Think about the valley that he first entered. He, he is baptized, the Lord pronounces, this is my beloved son, I'm well pleased with him. And what does he do? He comes into the valley of the shadow of death a place where everyone prior to him had failed. And he steps into that valley and he comes out the other side triumphant. And not only that, we see him go all the way down into the valley of death. He goes into death and through it. Amen. And he says that if you follow me, you will too. Do you remember in John 14 in verse 3 he tells his disciples I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you to be with me where I am. And they're kind of confused like well we don't even know the way and he's like well I am the way just keep following me. And then he goes into death and then he comes back on the other side defeating death and what does he tell them what does he tell his disciples? I'm with you always. Even if it takes you to death, he went through it. He's the way. I can trust that I'm going to get out through it too. He did it. So if the valley is even a valley all the way down into death, we can trust in that valley that we're going to go through. Now what this doesn't do is it doesn't lessen the intensity of the valley. The valley might seem long like the walls in this valley are really high. can't even see light over the top. Maybe the darkness in the valley is overwhelming. But it's in the valley that the Lord gives this prayer. A prayer of intense confidence. An affirmation of the truth that in the midst of this valley, verse 4 tells us what's going on. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The heart of this valley, Intense verse and the heart of the psalm, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't it interesting that the Lord inserts that you are with me in the midst of the most intense crisis of the psalm, the, the, the most dangerous moment, the crisis point, he says, I am with you. This is where Psalm 23 shifts, right? It moves from the he, he, he to the you, you, you. It shifts because in this valley, in this crisis, in this danger, the Lord is with us. And this is the very center of the psalm, the center of what we're meant to learn and hear from. And so, what is it? The Lord's presence that's with us. You see, there are and will always be valleys. There is and will always be evil to fear. But there doesn't have to always be fear. Why? Because you are with me, he says. It's that presence of the shepherd, of the Lord, that brings confidence in the valley. And when temptations are flying at us, like flaming darts and arrows come our way, here's what he says, the rod and the staff, they encourage us onward in the midst of the valley. They're reminding us that the shepherd is here. He hasn't abandoned his sheep. He is armed and ready. You can keep going. He's with you. The evil that you might suffer in the valley might be pretty bad. Think about Joseph's story. It's a pretty bad story. Jo- Joseph, uh, trying to be part of the children of Israel, live life as a brother, and his brothers hate him. They throw him in a well, because that was better than deciding to kill him, I guess, and then they sell him into slavery. And he goes there, and what does he do? He's faithful there, and he gets thrown into prison. But you remember the story? When Joseph is thrown into prison, it says distinctly that the Lord was with him there. You might be evil like that. That might be your valley. Abandoned by your family, cast out, living faithfully, still go to the bottom. But the Lord is with us. It might be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're in exile. They actually say almost like these confident words Hey, I'm not going to bow down and worship your idol because the Lord can deliver us. He, he will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not, we're not worshiping this. And they get thrown to the fire. And yet when they look in the fire, it's like, wait a second, we threw three in. Someone is with them. Or you can think about Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. These are some of his last words. He's in prison and he says, everyone abandoned me. But, verse 17, the Lord stood by me. Maybe the evil wolf we'll face will be like that. Maybe we'll be abandoned, cast out. Maybe our very lives will be threatened. The threat might be great. Maybe it won't be. But no matter what it is, whatever the valley is, the Lord's presence is with us and is promised through the valley. The the shepherd metaphor speaks to his presence with the sheep. Even in the valley, he has not left. And then Jesus comes on the scene and they say, here's what you're going to name him, Emmanuel. So that you make sure that you know that this person is telling the world, God is with us. And this Emmanuel is then saying, I'm the good shepherd. And what does he do? In John chapter 10, he says, not only I'm the good shepherd, but here's what's going to happen. Verse 27. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And none will snatch them out of my hand. He tells his disciples as he sends them to the world, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what the sheep need in order to trust the shepherd right now, in the valleys, in the darkness, to give them a sense of confidence. This word with is the only encouragement, the only comfort needed to get us through the valleys, and it is there. Like, we didn't make it up and conjure it and put it into the heart of this psalm. God put it into the heart of the psalm so that we would have confidence in Him in the middle of a valley or green pastures or still waters. We can be confident in the Lord our shepherd. He is with us. Now, there's a temptation because the shepherd imagery is so beautiful and so intense to take that shepherd imagery all the way through Psalm 23. It's a great metaphor. But if we look at everything through that lens, we might be missing a few things that the Lord wants to communicate. I, there's a book, I know some of you have read it, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, and I think he does that. He, he, As a shepherd, like he sees only through that lens, and so when we get to verses 5 and 6, I think he, like you miss a few things that may not be shepherd things here. Like verse 5, he, this table before me, he talks about the table land that the, the shepherd would take the sheep to, which that word is never used that way anywhere in the scripture, so it makes... It's an odd way to look at it if you're just going on biblical evidence. But the the metaphor seems to shift, and I think that it's right and good to see the shift and what it brings into this picture. The metaphor shifts from shepherd to host in verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The host metaphor probably even presses down even further than the shepherd metaphor, the idea of closeness and intimacy like the shepherd is close to his sheep and with the sheep but the host is right across from the table they can see each other in the eyes they can smell each other's breath that's the kind of intimacy and closeness especially to the original audience to sit down and have a meal was a intimate thing a, a closeness a tightness of fellowship that goes even beyond sheep and shepherd and so here we have this host and as the shepherd he fed the sheep and as the host here's what he's doing laying the banquet in front of him he feeds the guests you prepare a table before me a banquet feast in the presence of my enemies one of the books that i have loved in the past is a book called lone survivor i don't know if you've seen the movie or read the book about a navy seal who survives a mission in afghanistan when his three others um, are, are killed in battle and what he does is he kind of just finds a way to just pull himself to a man who, who takes him into his shelter. And, and it displays a little bit of the hospitality of that culture. What he does when he accepts this U.S. soldier into his tent is he says, basically, I like, am willing to protect you against whatever comes. That's what hospitality looked like. Enemies can come, but they have to come through me. That was the kind of hospitality. And so even in Afghanistan, this Afghani man re- gets this, US soldier into his tent and the enemy is all around and knows exactly where he is. They know his tent, they know who's hosting him. It's not hidden at all and they can't do anything about it because the host is saying this is not going to happen. Here this host sets the table in the presence of enemies. He presides over the table and when he does that and invites us in, he's he's offering us in the midst of whatever enemies come his protection as well. Like that's the kind of protection he gives. The kind of protection that would say, like, even if you have to come through me, you're going to have to go through me first before you get to them. And what does this good shepherd do? What does this good host do? He lays down his life. When the greatest threat is, is pointed at us, he says, I'll take that. And he goes all the way down into death to protect his hosts. And not only does he give just great protection, protects his guests, not his hosts, He has lavish provision, right? This banquet table is set and there's anointing oil. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, if I go to a table and they say, I want to start by anointing your head with oil, I'm like, I have the wrong table. But in their culture, it wasn't the wrong table. That was a good table to be at, right? That was customary care. One says that the pouring of olive oil on the guest's head connotes the wealth, the generosity, the care of the host to promote the renewal, joy, and healing of his weary and wounded guests it was a way to just display great care for them lavish care for them intense care for them and you could translate verse five that that you anoint my head with oil of you have fattened my head with oil like the idea of fatness is there it's abundance it's it's great provision is what's going on there it's lavish provision and lavish provision is a reflection of the vast resources of the host So vast are the resources that we could say, my cup overflows. The host provides enough and more than enough to satisfy. In other words, what's going on here with the guests is that they're abundantly satisfied. They're abundantly satisfied with the banquet table, and they have such a sense of certainty in the midst of their enemies that they can enjoy the life with their hosts. But verse 5 also has a bit of expectation in it. When he has this table and you do it in the presence of your enemies, it's it's an announcement in a sense, an announcement of certainty in victory, that, that a victory is coming. When the enemies are around and you can stop and have a meal with this host as a guest you can know that that a victory is coming. With this lavish provision and lavish resources of the host, you can know that a victory is coming. There's no hesitation about presenting this banquet table. There's no fear about using resources for this meal that we're going to need on the field of battle because there's this expectation and certainty in this Lord's host that the victory is coming, so let's sit down and have this meal. Anoint my head, let's let these cups overflow because victory is at hand. And church, our Lord gives us that same sense of certainty as our hosts. He gives us a sense of protection at all costs if you've got to go through Him, and they did. He, he, he sets the disciples down at the Last Supper, and what does He do? He sets the table before them. He goes and He washes their feet. He tells them what He's going to do. He cares for them. He feeds them. He Himself on their greatest enemy even though they don't think they need to be washed he's like you need to be washed not only physically you need washed more than that and i'm going to do that and he goes and he takes on the enemy of sin and death so that his guests who have gone astray could still go free and it's this lavish provision from his vast resources that forgive sin that abundantly satisfies that gives them a sense of certainty it also displays to us the character of this host. To give certainty in the midst of the enemies is something, but it's a reflection of his character and a reflection of the certainty of the future. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There, there's certainty for each day lived. Here's what's also going to be there with it. From the Lord, from the host, goodness and mercy Following means that they're kind of trailing behind. That's not the idea of this word. It's more like chasing, pursuing, tracking down. And why? Because of the presence of the host. There's this certain expectation of destination too. He says, surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A certainty in the midst of an uncertain future, certainty in their destination. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A table in the presence of enemies isn't the final destination. What's the final destination? Dwelling in the house of the Lord. Amen. The house of the Lord is no dwelling place. People do not live there. Right? You, they knew that. The people of God knew that. You don't just go in here and do whatever you want. You don't take up residence here. You don't camp here. That goes poorly for people that they try to do that. But that's the picture that Psalm 23 draws. Why? Because that's the ultimate end that he knows that God had designed for man to dwell with God in his presence forever. And David says that each day that I live until that day, goodness and mercy are going to be there. David, he knew pursuit. He was pursued by many things. He was pursued by enemies. He was pursued by his own family. Like Think about the ups and downs of his life. He, he was pursued by death on all sides. He faced all kinds of difficulty and uncertainty. He never knew when another uh, problem is going to arise in the kingdom, when another nation is going to come up against him. He had all kinds of those things around him all the time, and yet he says with such certainty here in verse 6 of the final destination, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. With the uncertainty all around him and all around his times, he has such certainty here. Why? Because the Lord's his host. The Lord has set the table. His enemies are dealt with. He's even eating in their presence. He has abundant provision. Goodness and mercy are chasing him, and this final destination is as secure as all the provision at the table. And so he comes with all kinds of uncertainty in his life, and he has great certainty in the future. And we can have that certainty in our future too. Not because there are no valleys. Not because there are no enemies. But because the Lord is host. He told his followers at the Lord's Supper, he said, hey, we're not going to drink this again until. He he kind of told them, like, we will do this again. I'm going to come back and make sure we we can do this again. John 14, verse 3, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go do that, through death even, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make sure I take you to be with me where I am, because I'm the host here at this meal, and I'm going to be the host at that meal and because death was in between, couldn't conquer me, then you can have certainty that that meal is secure for you as well. If the Lord is host, you can have that same kind of certainty that when he says, I've gone to prepare a place, you can say, if he's my shepherd, he's my host, he's preparing a place for you, and he's going to come back, and he's going to take you to be with him where he is as well. And so Psalm 23, it ends where it started with the Lord. We saw that we could have this temptation to twist and to think about how it's all about me and my, It starts and ends with the Lord. Dwelling with the Lord is the place where, verse 1, there's no lack. No lack and dwelling forever are connected and they're only connected in the Lord as the shepherd and the Lord as the host. These are metaphors of his presence, the very heart of the psalm, that God is with us. And with his presence, with the Lord's presence as our shepherd, with the Lord's presence as our host, there is reason to be confident in him in following his voice and his lead. There is reason to be certain of him in the midst of enemies and certain of the future. And so if you trust in him as your shepherd and your host, my hope is that Psalm 23 gives you confidence and certainty today because he is with you. And what we get to do if you're part of this flock, if you're part of the guests at the table because you fully trusted in this God, then we get to take a meal in the presence of enemies where we are certain of the future that he's coming back for us and we take this meal with a sense of great expectation that because he's with us right now that even our enemies can't overwhelm us and that because he's with us, he's given us this deposit and seal to say, I'm gonna bring you to be with where I am. And you're going to dwell there forever. So if that's your hope, if the Lord is your hope, then this meal we call the Lord's Supper is a meal for you. A meal of expectation, a meal of certainty in the Lord's work and in the Lord's return. Come and take a piece of the bread and take a cup and be reminded of what he was done that secured all that was needed for your certain future. If you're not a believer, don't take this meal. Instead, we invite you to trust in this Lord as shepherd and this Lord as host. Let's pray together.
0: Please pray with me. Father, as Dylan started out his sermon, uh, we ask that you would take this axe of truth to the very root of our fears and anxiety, the truth that you are with us and that this king leading us is a shepherd. You're a shepherd who's never left us wanting for the things we need. We confess to you that we lie in green pastures often, and we grumble. We don't know where still water is, and we seek waters that will drown us. You say in Isaiah that every one of us, without exception, turn to our own ruinous and calamitous ways, then you stepped in and you took the consequences for our prideful hearts the consequences of a death penalty so thank you jesus for coming to us as we ran our hell-bound race as we sing indifferent to the cost so father restore our souls for your glory and for your renown send us into the darkest corners of this globe where your glory needs to be preached where you deserve to be worshipped. Give us that assurance that our final destination is with you so that we can understand and remember why you have even put us on this earth. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.